This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. Open your Bibles to the gospel, the book of Acts. Right after the gospel of Mark, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the book of Acts chapter 1. We are in the middle of what I guess we could call a series, but I felt when we came back home to open up the book of Acts and ask the hard question, are we tracking the way God wants us to track? To catch you up, if you don't know, if you haven't been here and this is your first time, you can go online to our website, mybelieverschurch.com. You can catch up with us. But here's just a gist of what's been happening in about a minute. We started out looking at the historical Jesus of the Gospels. His stories, His parables, His miracles. But we tied it down to that many Christians know about the historical Jesus and the stories and the red letters in the Bible but they don't have an ongoing relationship with the resurrected Jesus. The Jesus that walks with you, talks with you, moves through you, and brings His power through you. Then we looked at if the resurrected Jesus is living in us in the second week, we broke it down a little more and said this, God expects signs and miracles to follow believers. It's not just a select few that get to flow in power. It's not just the ones you read about in history. What the Bible teaches us is that every Christian believer has the right given to us by God to display signs and wonders. We looked at four of them. Number one, if you're a believer, you have the right to cast out devils. And here's what we said. Every believer in this room, if you believe in Jesus, you have the right for spiritual authority to know who you are in Christ, to never be a victim but to be a victor. Then it said, and you shall speak with new tongues. And we talked about that every believer needs to make sure that they are a life-giving river of the Holy Spirit in their daily walk. Number three, you shall pick up serpents and drink any deadly poison. And we talked about every believer has the right to overcome the poisons of life, the fears of life, the anxieties of life. And then number four, you heard Ryan talk about it during communion. Every believer has a right to lay hands on other people and be healed. And today, I want to take you a step further. I want to give you something that's been very meaningful to me, and I want to talk to you about prayer. I want to talk to you about the prayer life of a believer, and I want you to read this text with me if you'll open up to Acts chapter 1, and I want you to go down to verse 12 of Acts chapter 1. They had just seen Jesus go up into heaven, and now they're standing on a mountainside staring up into the sky. And as they're staring up into the sky, some angels meet with them and say, Fellas, what are you doing just looking up in the sky here? My opinion to that is a lot of Christians just stand around looking up into heaven waiting on God to do something. And God's waiting on you to get busy believing. And in verse 12 it says this, The disciples returned to Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives a distance of about a half a mile. And when they arrived, they went to an upstairs room of the house where they were staying. Here are the names of those who were present. Peter, John, James, Andrew, Philip, Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, Simon, the son, the zealot, and Judas, son of James. 
They all met together and were constantly united in prayer, along with Mary, the mother of Jesus, several other women and the brothers of Jesus. And during this time, when about 120 believers were together in one place, Peter stood up and addressed them. I want to tell you this this morning. You're here today because 120 believers dared to believe the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But I love what it says. It says, they were united together in prayer. I want to just talk to you about my perspective of prayer, especially growing up in the South, growing up in church. Uh, let me ask you this question. If you, anybody here, so it's going to be kind of a participation. Anybody here, raise your hand if you've ever prayed over food. Said a prayer for food. So that's about 99% of us have prayed over food. Now here's the deal. If you have prayed over your meatloaf and asked God to bless your meatloaf, two things are probably at stake here. Number one, you did it because your mother wouldn't let you eat without praying. Or your grandmama taught you to pray. Or you were scared you would get a worm so you felt like praying. But you blessed your meatloaf. Because tradition tells me, bless my meatloaf. So we do know that prayer, people can pray just because of religious tradition. It's just what you do. I mean, you'd be living like a hellion. Everybody dropping F-bombs around the table and cussing each other. And all of a sudden, the biscuits come. It's like, man, we got to pray. we got to bless that biscuit, right? I don't want to eat that biscuit without prayer. That's the South. I don't know about everywhere else in the world, but I know in the deep South, even the raunchiest of the raunch will bless the biscuit when it comes to the table and have no problem. The other side of the coin is, if you are blessing the meatloaf, the other side of the coin is, if you're praying and you're not religious, then you really believe that there is a God out there who has supernatural power, who is desiring to intervene into your everyday life and be part of what you do. Two very different extremes. One is just offering up words because of tradition and religion, and the other offers up the same words, but literally believes that heaven is listening, and in some strange way, my biscuit and my cornbread are about to be blessed by the God of heaven. But here's the thing. I believe one of the problems in many Christians' lives is prayer is just over the biscuit and over the bed. God is great, God is good, let us sing it for the food. Now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I should die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take a stick up. Right? It's what we do. We're taught to do that. But my question is, if, if I believe to pray over the biscuit and the bread, and I believe to pray over the bed, then why are so many people still broken? Is prayer have no power? Does prayer have no energy behind it? Is it just a traditional thing we do? Maybe we pray with our fingers crossed. So man, I'm going to pray, but ooh, I hope it works. I bump into people who don't even know how to pray. They've known Jesus for years, and they, I'm not putting anybody down, I'm just telling you the reality. They struggle praying over the biscuit. Like, I don't know, man, not me, not me. I mean, in my own home, I'll tell my youngest, all right, pray. And, and, you know, for a while, it's like, no, I don't want to pray. In my own house. So here's the reality of that. You and I have to ask the question, what is the motive of prayer for us today? 
Because when you read the book of Acts, you read things like they gathered together and prayed and chains fell off of people and houses shook with power and miracles literally happened because they prayed. They laid hands on people by prayer and life, miracles, things would happen. But we pray today and it's a select few who are called intercessors who do most of the praying while the rest of the believers are breakfast and bedtime prayers and not really understanding the power between breakfast and bedtime that resides in our everyday life. And so I want to just tell you how kind of I came to what I believe today and I want to share it with you and hope it will help you about prayer. I first heard about prayer years ago like this. Jesus said, ask and it will be given. So just ask him. Okay, I did. And I didn't get what I asked for. It's like, man, that didn't work. But then when I shared that, they said, oh, okay. Well, yeah, that is true. Jesus said, ask and it will be given. But you just asked wrong because the Bible says you have to ask according to his will. Oh, okay. All right, so, okay, back that prayer up. All right, now, I got his will. Now, I've asked according to his will, and now, but I still didn't get it. And then it's like, oh, okay, well, the reason you didn't get it is you didn't ask according to his will. It, it's, it's because there's sin in your life. Yeah, oh, sin in my life. All right. Whew. Okay, forgive me of all my sins. Give me your will, and now here's what I need. No. Okay, Mark, it's not because there's maybe sin in your life or maybe, you know, something's going on here that's kind of wigging you out. I think I know, did you and Robin have a fight? Because the Bible says if you can't get it right with your wife or your brother, what use is it to pray? Yeah, right, okay. All right, so Father, forgive me for what Robin did to me. And, uh, okay. And now, Father, I, I just want you to help me. And there's sin in my life. I ask you to forgive it. And that thought I had about Robin, forgive me that because that was sin. And then, Lord, okay, right here. Now I, I want to perfect myself. I'm going to live perfect. No sin in my life. Everything's good. I think I feel good. I'm, I'm according to your will. Okay, I ask. Oh, man, no. Then you get told it's just because you don't have enough faith. Okay, how do I get faith? You got to read the Bible more. <laughs> okay, I really just need this prayer answered. There's eight other things you got to do first. All right, I got to read the Bible. And then I got to forgive Robin because she burnt my meatloaf. And then I got to then I gotta make sure that I got my act together and I've, I've cured all myself of all my sins. And then I got to make sure after I cure myself of my sins that I've got according to the will of God. And now that I've got the will of God, now I can pray and I can ask him anything. And then somebody comes along and says, no, man, the reason he didn't answer it is because it's spiritual warfare and the devil's hindering it. So it began, now this is just my own journey. I'm just telling you, over 30 years, so I'm not telling you this didn't happen last week. Over 30 years, the things I have heard people tell me to do to jump through hoops to try to get God to answer a prayer. And when he doesn't answer a prayer, you should have done this, 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 this. And really, it doesn't really end up having anything to do with faith. It has to do more with I'm jumping through all of these hoops trying to get God to work his magic. And if I will be perfect and jump through every hoop, then God's bound to hurry up and answer my prayer because I'm perfect. I love my wife. I love people. I fast to read my Bible. Do it all for me. And then nothing happens. So now we're just like, well... I don't know, maybe God doesn't even answer my prayer, I guess, because he doesn't work for me. But what I read in the book of Acts is that every believer was in tuned that prayer was more than a religious duty. It was a warfare. 
It literally was a kingdom versus kingdom thing. And then what I'm finding out 2,000 years later is that we've gone from warfare prayer to welfare praying. Warfare is, I know whom I believe. Welfare is poor, pitiful me. I go to problem praying promises to I now just pray the problem. And I go from being a victor 2,000 years ago to victim. So now in 2019 we have Christians that are welfare, victim-minded, poor pitiful me, problem-minded prayers. In other words, most of their prayers are directed to God because they feel like God is holding something back from them. And if they jump through enough hoops and quote enough scriptures and say enough religious things, they may get his attention in time for him to answer. And what I read in the Bible, that's a farce. Because God is not your problem. God is not the one holding it back. But yet we act like he is. If, if you could just get him to heal me. But he did heal you 2,000 years ago on the cross. If you could just pray for God to bless me. He did 2,000 years on the cross. If you could just get God to meet my needs, Mark. He did 2,000 years on the cross. Now I understand that every answer to my prayer is not about jumping through hoops. It's about going back to what Jesus did for me and holding on to what he did for me because that in there is the warfare. All right, now I want to teach you how I came to this thinking. Because I do want to throw this out here to you. I, I don't have magic, all right? Like I'm not a magic person. I have some prayers that have been answered and it blew my mind. And when he answered me, I thought it must be Benny Hinn. Like, man, wow. Blew my mind he answered that prayer because I didn't even have any faith. I just like, oh, good luck. you know. And then God, God answered it. And then I've had other people where I've spit and, you know, hollered. And because I forgot to tell you about that one. When nothing else worked, you were just told to get mad, stomp, and, and go, just get mad at the devil and scream at him. And then, and then all of a sudden your prayer's like, devil, I just bind you. Oh, God. And then you get real, and it doesn't work. So I at least want to tell you that I don't think it's magic. Like I have some prayers that have been answered. I have some that weren't answered and I had to just grow up. And I have some that are still in the oven baking that I genuinely believe God's going to pull through. But I've learned whether they've been answered, whether they've not answered and I just had to grow up, or whether they're baking, I still have to know who I am in Christ. Otherwise, I w if, if all of them get answered, I'll get prideful. If none of them get answered, I get bitter. If a lot of them stay in the oven and nothing happens, well, I just end up broken. So I just got to learn wherever my prayers are falling, I know who I believe. I know what he can do. And hey, don't come to me. I'm not working magic. I'm just a conduit of his miracle power to you. So you may get a yes. You may get a no. You may get in the oven. I have no clue what he's going to do. But I'm going to pray and give you the best I can. What would happen if every believer got a hold of that? Well, it's hard to get a hold of it because the moment you don't get a yes, you beat yourself up and just say, well, God doesn't answer prayer. Or you get a no and you get your feelings hurt and get your underwear in a wad because he didn't do it the way you wanted him to do it. But I do know this, sometimes there's prayers in the oven and you just gave up too soon. You didn't get it in a week and a half, so you just 
pitched a pity fit and gave up. There's some things I've been praying over for 20 years. Some have come true 20 years later. Some still are in the oven. And I guess till God takes it out of the oven, I'll keep it there and keep praying over it. But I want to teach you how to survive the warfare that comes against a believer to tell you your prayers don't work. Because when you can get it, holy smoke, what kind of damage can we do to the kingdom of God? Now, we're going to have to go on a journey together in the Bible. All right, so get your Bibles out. And I want you to go all the way to Genesis chapter 1. I want to teach you how I came to believe what I believe about prayer. Because as I said before, though in a comical way, um, I did go through all of those things. I did jump through the hoops. I did feel like I was not a man of faith. I did scream at the devil. I did pray about you know, being angry. And, and all those, those are biblical things. and They're things I grew through. I want to teach you what I've come to believe about prayer. Genesis chapter 1. Verse 1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. And then God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and He separated the light from darkness, and God called the light day, and the darkness night. And the evening passed, and the morning came, marking the first day. So I do want you to understand this about kingdom praying. From the beginning of time, there has always been an element of darkness trying to fight light. I will help you here. Praying is not so much just about your needs, but it's about understanding the warfare between darkness and light. I wish it was just all about me and my needs, but it's not always that way. Sometimes it is a darkness versus light kind of battle. Now listen to day two because this is what we're going to hold on to. This is kind of the revelation the Lord gave me about prayer from day two of creation. Verse six. Then God said, let there be a space between the waters to separate waters of heaven from the waters of the earth. And this is what happened. God made this space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heaven. And God called the space sky. And the evening passed and the morning came. That's the second day. I want to talk to you about this thing called the sky because to me this is what prayer is about. My opinion, you don't have to believe this, but my opinion is on the second day of creation, God was planting inside of creation the necessity of prayer. Because in the second day of creation... God puts an expanse between heaven and between earth. And He calls that space the sky. Now Psalm 115, uh, if you want to turn there, I want to read it to you. Psalm 115, I just want you to listen to this. This is a, I came across this not long ago, and it just intrigued me as I began to dig it out a little deeper. Psalm 115 verse 12 or verse 16, I'm sorry, Psalm 115, verse 16. The heavens belong to the Lord, but He has given the earth to all humanity. Alright, one more time. The heavens belong to the Lord, but He gave the earth to humanity. Now watch how strange this is. 
God creates the heaven and the earth. He puts an expanse between heaven and earth that we call the sky. And then he says, to humans, I gave them the right to the earth. Even though there's still this expanse between heaven and between earth, I gave them the right to the earth. So now, in the book of Genesis, what you will find, strange though it be, and it doesn't happen much today, and I'll tell you why, in the book of Genesis, we find the God of creation would come down in the cool of the day, this is Genesis 3, and He would commune with Adam and Eve. So in the beginning of time, God would leave heaven, come down to earth, however far that distance is, come down to earth and would commune with Adam and Eve in the garden. And there was this very uh, relational thing uh, between a human being who was on the earth and a God who created it in heaven. But this is what God of heaven over here said. He said to Adam and Eve in the earth, I need you to rule over it, reign over it, dominate it, and multiply and replenish it. I'm going to stay up here in my sphere and do what I do. You stay down in your sphere and do what you do. And the sky will separate the two of us. But don't worry, I'm going to come down every day. I'm going to hang out with you, fellowship with you, talk with you, commune with you. You and I are going to have a good thing going on. And you go do what I've anointed you to do. You do what I've called you to do. In other words, you and I are not a problem. We're one-on-one together and go get it done. Does that sound like a victim mentality to you? God coming down to chit-chat with you every day? God coming down and just having a convo? Well, Lucifer picks up on it. Genesis chapter 3. He's like, dude, this God keeps coming down to this world called earth. He's given these humans dominion. And so he begins to tempt Eve. If you don't know the story, Genesis 3, the serpent tempts Eve. Eve gives in to the serpent, disobeys God in an instant time. In one instance of time. The earth that belonged to man became now owner the devil. Because man traded out everything God gave to them, all of the authority, all of the stuff, they traded it out in disobedience, and now the God of heaven rules the heavens and Lucifer rules the earth. He's in control whether you like it or not. The Bible has put him in a place of authority that he now rules the earth through mankind. And here's how weird this is. This is where it gets really strange. When he begins to move through mankind, they get so wicked and so corrupt that the God of heaven in Genesis chapter 6 says, Well, I just wish I'd have never made them. They have royally blown it. They're supposed to have authority. They are supposed to have dominion. They are supposed to be ruling and reigning. They are supposed to be multiplying for my kingdom. But they're definitely ruling and reigning for themselves. They're definitely multiplying for themselves. All right, here's what we'll do. Kill them. So Genesis, the flood. If you're a Bible-believing Christian, the flood comes. It annihilates every human on the earth but Noah. Noah's the only dude in his family that are left on an ark. Genesis chapter 9, the ark comes to rest upon a mountain and I love what God did because God's about to blow our mind. 
If you know the story well and you grew up in church, you know the story. The story is God comes down and lets, lets uh, Noah out of the boat. And when he lets Noah out of the boat, he says to Noah, look up into the sky. This is Genesis chapter 9. Look up into the sky for I've given you a sign. Not a sign of how terrible you are, how miserable you humans are, and how pitiful you are. I've given you a sign of my covenant. And I have placed a sign of my covenant in the sky. It is a bow that sits in the sky that will forever remind you of a covenant God. <clears throat> Are you on it with me or am I too far ahead of you? Because here's what God is going to tell me. You blew it. You traded it out. And now there's a gap between heaven and earth. There's this gap between me and you now. You're supposed to be taking power, but you're not. And now you've traded the earth that I gave you. And now I'm separated from you and you're there and I'm here. And you're supposed to be using it for my kingdom, but you're not. And now there's this big expanse between us. But I do want you to know, though I can't just come back down and commune with you, I'm going to give you a sign. I'm going to let you know that I'm still here for you and that I still work for you and I'm still here to redeem you. And so in this sky, it's still here today, the sky, in the sky, the distance between Mark on planet earth and Jesus and God in heaven, there's this sky. He puts a rainbow. It's about to get really good now because the rainbow, Science 101, how many colors are in the rainbow? Seven. Roy G. Biv, seven. How many days of creation were there? Seven. Why? Why did God make the rainbow seven colors? What is a rainbow? Ready for this one? A rainbow is mist and water in the air. You ready? Mist and water in the air that is reflecting the light that is passing through it. What is light? God is light. What is water? The Holy Spirit is water. Who is the air? The Holy Spirit is the breath of God. In this rainbow, the Lord is saying, if you want to know how to handle the sky, you're going to have to do it with my truth and my spirit. It's the only way you can do it. But the beauty of that is, why seven colors? Because seven colors point back to the seven days of creation. And what God was saying to Noah is, Hey, buddy, even though it's a hellacious thing down here, I am the creator of the universe. I am the God of all gods. There is nobody like me. And I'm working a kingdom agenda. And I'm working a thing. I am the alpha. I am the beginning. I am the first. But wait a minute. Wait a minute, if he's God, then the seven colors of the rainbow don't only point to the seven days of creation, they also point prophetically to the seven sayings of Jesus on the cross. Now, I've got a covenant in the sky that reminds me he's the creator of the whole universe, but I also have seven more colors to point me prophetically. He also is the alpha, but he's the omega. He's the beginning, but he's also the end. He's the first, but he's also the last. He's the creator, but he's also the redeemer. He is the promise maker, but he's also the promise keeper. He's all in all, everything I would ever need in a rainbow in the sky. And you say, what does that have to do with prayer? Everything, because prayer is me on the earth fulfilling the will of heaven. And there's a gap between the two of us. Still here. The gap is still here. 
You can't just hop up into heaven. Are you trekking? So here we sit in this region of a covenant God. The covenant sign. The warfare of prayer is going to be based on the covenant of God. Here's where it gets a little tricky and deeper. Genesis chapter 11. They start building the Tower of Babel. Now what was their goal in building the Tower of Babel? To do what? To get to heaven. Oh no, 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 no. He doesn't tell me what to do. Oh no, no. He's, no, we will get to him. We're smart enough to get up there. To, he doesn't come down to us anymore. We'll get up to him. And so they start in their own fleshly power trying to build this monument that will get them so high that humans now will be able to do what God can do, trans, trans, uh, cross over and, and, and make a bridge between this gap. Except this time, rather than God bridging it to talk to Adam and Eve, oh, now we're smart enough to bridge it and get to God, and that's called religion. Oh, I'm good enough. Strong enough, smart enough. I know enough scripture. I can build my little tower of Babel and look high and mighty over everybody else that has to serve me. But have no power. All you are is just an edifice of your brilliance, but nothing flows through you at all. It does make me wonder how there could be hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of churches in the Atlanta metro area and we're still killing each other. Wait, have we got churches on every corner? We should be killing each other and murdering each other and committing adultery and drunk driving and hooking up and going down on Fulton to get a prostitute. I mean, come on. I mean, there's plenty of churches in there. We, we should have plenty of power to overcome this stuff. But what if today modern American thinking is the things we call churches are just towers of Babel that feel really religious? And there's nothing to them except religion. I mean, it feels good. We're getting to God, man. You're going to be everything you can be. And we're going to keep on going and get high. And it's my people. It's my stuff. You're with us. Call us. Here's your shirt that says you're part of the tower of us. And I'm not, okay, I'm not really against that. Like, I don't care what other people do. I just want to go ahead and throw this out there. This has nothing to do with my sermon, but you need to hear it. I don't care where you go. Find a place you belong and get busy with the kingdom. If it's here, I will love you and be the best father, shepherd I can be. But I want you to be part of the kingdom. Point number two, I don't own you. You don't belong to me, you're his sheep. Therefore, I just want to help you get where God wants you to go. If you're passing through, I will bless you as you pass on. If you're hanging out with me till we die together, come on, you'll find out I love Mexican food. But I want you to know, I want to build a house of God where people can come and connect with the kingdom of God and find their purpose. And I'm smart enough now to know, I didn't know this before, I'm nothing but a bus driver. Some people get on my bus, some people get off my bus. But I've got a purpose for God and I want you to be part of it with me. I don't know who that was for, but hopefully it helped you. Now, that wasn't my sermon, so rewind. Back to the bow now, right? Watch this. God 
Matthew 6. Just turn there. It's just better to read it than tell you. Just go to Matthew 6. Matthew chapter 6. Are you trekking with me? All All I'm trying to do is just inspire you to pray. And what kind of power comes when you pray. Listen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 6 verse 9. Matthew 6, 9. Jesus says this, pray this way. Our Father, where? Everybody good. That even Jesus says he's still there. Jesus even says the Father's still in heaven. There's still a gap between us. He will even teach in the New Testament that he's got to go there to be with Daddy. And they said, well, where are you going? He said, right now you can't come. So he's telling us the gap is still there. But watch what he says. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. May your will be done where? On earth as it's where? Leave that up there for just a minute. Verse 10. Now watch. Jesus himself assumes that every believer will understand that the root of prayer is to be a vessel of kingdom power from heaven to earth, working through you. Like, I wish, I don't see it anywhere in the Bible, but I wish that God would just come down and do it for me. Like, just blow their minds. Like, God just bring fire down and kill them all. He pulled over in front of me, give him a flat tire. Like, I just wish God would just come down and just do his God stuff so I could just sit back and wear the t-shirt that I belong to his team. But it's not the way he works. God doesn't say, I'm not coming down there to do it. I'm wanting to do it through you. Now here's the weird thing. He tried it once before and we blew it. Like is he, what, what was he doing? You did this in Genesis and we blew it. And now you tell us with Jesus, you want the human beings down here praying For your will to come and you're trusting us again? Except this time. He says, oh, that sounds good. Uh, No, no, not trusting you. You're untrustworthy. I'm trusting myself. I'm trusting me. But I'm so good that I'm allowing my trustworthiness to bleed over into your life. Mark, I'm not asking you to be the healer. I'm just asking you to let the healer flow through you. I'm not asking you to be the miracle worker. I'm just asking you, will you be the vessel that the miracle worker works through? So now because of the bow in the sky that separated heaven and earth, I find that it's also creation, but it's the original creation, but it's also, here, get ready, about to get good. Not only does it focus to the work of the creation, pointing also to the work of Calvary, it also points to the work of the creation and points back to the work of the new creation in Christ Jesus that I am. And now I get to go all the way back to the book of Genesis and grab it, get ready. Somebody hold on, buckle up on this one. We're going to sell donuts. Watch. Jesus, because of his work, he has put me back in a Garden of Eden kind of moment. Because now there is no more gap. There is no more sky. There is no more me trying to do my religious babble to get up to him. 
And now I don't have to worry about, will he come to me? No. Jesus Christ bridged the gap. And now the God of heaven himself dwells on the inside of me. A new creation. Now, rather than this victim mentality, God's so far out there, he's watching us from a distance. No. He's not watching me from a distance. He bridged the gap and now lives on the inside of me. In other words, in the New Testament, there's no more gap. He lives on the inside of me, makes his home in me, communes with me, and now I don't have to jump through religious hoops to get him to come down and help a brother. I just have to know greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And when they say, Mark, you're not religious enough, I jump back and say, up, I don't have to be. He was religious enough for me. Mark, you don't have enough faith. Hup, I don't have to have enough. All things are possible to those who believe, and I believe. Up, you got mad at your wife. Up, he's the God of all grace. He works through me, lives in me. Now, I'm not saying it gives me a right to live any way I want, but I'm telling you it teaches me this mentality of a lot of people that God is trying to keep something from them. He holds my healing back. He holds my blessings back. And if I just tap dance just right, pray just right, give just right, sing just right, he might shower me down and give me a little bit of taste of help. That is a demonic mentality. For he dwells within you. He lives inside of you. He makes his home in you. And the beauty of this thing, the beauty of it, I'm going to end right here. Two scriptures. Turn to Ephesians chapter 2. I'm going to give you two scriptures and I'll let you go. Are you learning something? Sometimes we've got to learn, right? Ephesians chapter 2 verse 2. Ephesians 2 verse 2. Look up on the screen with me if you will. Just so we all just see it together. There was a world in which you once walked according to the course of this world. According to, you ready? The prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. Leave that up there. Paul gives us a revelation that the devil still works in the realm of the air to block heaven from working on earth. You can read the book of Daniel. When, when, when the angel was hindered, Michael was hindered by a spirit from coming to Daniel for 21 days. Paul says this prince of the power of the air, that's that gap between heaven and earth. There is a spirit that works, but this spirit of the air works through disobedience. The Holy Spirit who bridges the gap of Jesus' resurrection works through obedience. Both of them are working. One works through disobedience. One works through obedience. But both of them, weird though it may seem, both of them are trying to get the spiritual world to manifest in heaven, on earth. Both of them. I know we've been seeing a lot on TV about crazy things and people blowing things up and killing each other. Well, that's the prince of the power of the air working spiritual things to manifest on the earth. While Christians sit around and the best we can muster is to post something about it rather than understanding I have authority over it. 
I don't have to fear. I don't have to live in anxiety. I don't have to worry about dying young. I don't have to worry about diseases. For my God conquered the air and himself took my infirmities and bore my sicknesses and by his stripes I'm healed. So now the prayer of a believer becomes this. Are you going to have a victim mentality? A problem mentality? A pity mentality? Where God is way out there holding everything back from you, trying to teach you a lesson? When really it's not God, it's just the demonic world working against you? Or are you going to step up and look up into the sky and go, I know whom I believe. I know who He is for me. All things are possible through Christ. I don't have to watch now. I don't have to worry about being so spiritual I can get into heaven. All I have to do is confess His Lordship and heaven comes to me. And now I have all of watch, all authority, all power to do what He's called me to do. And let me share this with you in closing. Heaven has come to earth already in Jesus Christ. And now we just ask, are you going to be the one? Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 